0: Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. John Schmoke, Paul Dottino with you. The phone number is 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. If you want to converse with us that way, we'll get to your tweets later on in the show. And we'll have our first guest trying to look at all the pro days around the league and get a local perspective on some of the draft prospects. Since... Oklahoma had the first pro day last week. Annoying to most NFL franchises because they put it on the first day of free agency which isn't really smart. (laughs) uh, Which is why we're only getting to it now. But we'll have Teddy Lehman (laughs) who covers the team as their sideline analyst and he's a sports talk show host on the Sports Talk 1400 down in Oklahoma. Uh, We will have him in about two or three minutes. Paul, it's always good to start getting deep into these prospects because the guys covering the team sometimes have a little bit of a different view than even the people that take a look at all the game film on
1: them. Well, they certainly know a lot more about these prospects than we do that's for sure we can study we can look at some of the uh, descriptions and some of the things that other people have said we can even look at the tape as you have alluded to but hey we try to bring you guys an inside look a most complete look and a detailed look at all of the potential prospects that you'll be seeing in the first couple of rounds or maybe even three or four rounds of the NFL draft you guys know we do this every single year annually it's one of my favorite things that we do on Big Blue Kickoff live because we're getting inside the details of all these guys. It's not just some stuff that you're reading in a book. We're, we're going to the heart of the matter. We're going to those places in the in the country, to those uh, areas where those guys are around the prospects each and every day. And by the way, Teddy Lehman, you guys remember, an outstanding outside linebacker at Oklahoma, then played in the NFL. I think he was drafted by the Detroit Lions, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, injury, injuries uh, kind of beset his career a little bit. But, obviously, he has an educated eye, and so that's why I'm anxious to hear what he's got to say. Yeah, and we had
0: him last year. He gave us the lowdown on Baker Mayfield and some of the other prospects coming out of Oklahoma, so he does a real nice job. We'll have him on in just about a minute. We'll get him on the phone momentarily, and we'll talk with him. Paul, I think it's fair to say we're done with the first wave of free agency. The first wave is over, and now we're in the middle of wave two. Do
1: you think that's fair? Yeah, I do think it's fair, and what you're going to see then uh, is after a little bit of a settling down, You will then see the bargain basement guys, for lack of a better term. I'm not trying to be insulting about it or disrespectful, but you'll get more of the bargains coming through maybe in about a week or so. And then, of course, there'll be other guys who will simply say to those players, we will get to wait and see what happens in the draft, and maybe we'll talk to you after the draft is over.
0: Yeah, remember, you still have guys like Adam Sue, Justin Houston, Eric Berry available as free agents. There, are some, there are some really good players still out there. The Cowboys there just signed Randall Cobb to a one-year $5 million contract to replace Cole Beasley, a good mm-hmm. bargain deal for them. So there are still a lot of players left on the market, and of course we will continue to cover free agency right here on Giants.com. But now let's get to our draft series, and he will be our first guest this year talking about their school's pro days and it's one of the best college programs in the country Oklahoma we're joined by Teddy Lehman who covers the team as their sideline analyst also a sports talk show host down there as well Teddy thank you for joining us for a second straight year last year you gave us some great details on Baker Mayfield and some of his teammates you got John Schmelk and Paul Dottino up here in New Jersey how are you today
2: I'm doing good. No problem, guys. We might as well go ahead and schedule next year as well, right? With are doing the now, quarterback at Oklahoma.
0: <laughs> hey, it, it certainly looks that way. You guys might have two consecutive players in consecutive years being the top overall pick in the draft, and I guess that's where we got to start, right? And I'll attack it this way because I see them as two very different prospects. How do you compare Kyler Murray coming out this year to where Baker Mayfield was coming out last year?
2: Well, I think the biggest difference between the two guys isn't necessarily their play, and their play's different, but I think the, the draft situation's completely different. Um, with the team that's number one, Cliff Kingsbury being the coach of the, of the number one team, and the quarterback class is far weaker this year than it was last year with Baker Mayfield. Um, There was a lot of really good quarterbacks that came out last year. So I think that's the biggest difference whenever you can kind of compare the draft process between the two guys. But uh, as far as on the field, um, I mean, there's some similarities there just because they played in the same system and were coached by the same guy. So some of those things that they do is just kind of coached into what they do. But uh, physically, they couldn't be more different. I mean, Kyler Murray, guys – there's never been a combination that I can think of that has been this good running the football and throwing the football now everyone's gonna say Michael Vick Michael Vick was a fantastic runner of the football in college but and has a great arm and a great release uh, but doesn't have didn't have in college anywhere near the the passing accuracy Correct. or uh, the ability to throw it down the field like Kyler Murray does Kyler is. a a precision passer with the ability to run with the ball like really no one else at the position.
1: Well, let me ask you this, Teddy. Uh, And I'm not disputing his physical prowess or his athleticism. It'd be foolish to do so. The guy has done so much on tape while he's been there. He's got a ton of talent. But let me ask you this. Is it fair to say that he's a certain style of quarterback who, you know, there are going to be some folks who like strawberry ice cream, some like chocolate ice cream, and some like vanilla. This is the kind of guy where if you run the kind of system that he can run, great. He's going to be a wonderful prospect for you. He's going to be really high on the board. But if that's not the style of quarterback you want, chances are you're going to shy away from him no matter how good he is.
2: Um, Maybe, but I'll tell you this, guys. All the data in the NFL points to the, the changing position. There was a time, and rightfully so, that we wanted a six foot four, six foot five, two hundred and thirty five pound quarterback that could go under center, take a five or seven step drop, step up in the pocket, and deliver the ball downfield. And because of the nature of the position, could do it for sixteen games throughout the year. Well. The NFL has changed. It's completely changed. With with regard to the quarterback, first let me talk about the quarterback in the pocket. You can't hit him below the knees. You can't hit him with your helmet. You can't touch him above the the neck and shoulder area. You can't even brush his helmet with your hand. Right. Okay? You can't tackle him and fall on him. Okay? (laughs) So... What I'm saying is the the durability factor of the quarterback wanting a big physical guy throw the ball, it's just it's not relevant anymore. And teams that are still drafting that way, then there's a lot of talent that's passing them by. okay? that's number one. Number two, the because of some of the different things that teams are doing defensively, how difficult it is to protect against some of these great pass rushers, both in the interior and on the outside, when you look at the data in the NFL, there's more passing, okay, and those passes Mm -hmm. are closer to the line of scrimmage. Mm -hmm. So what they're saying is we're getting the ball to our quarterback in the shotgun, Mm -hmm. all right, and we're getting it out of his hands instantly. Yep. All right, higher completion percentage, uh, put the ball in an athlete's hand and, and try and let him make something happen. That's the way the NFL's gone. A lot of it is because of legislation that's changed, so, if you're still drafting a quarterback trying to get an L.A. or a Merino to be a drop back passer, then the game is passing you by. It, it really is. And there's a lot of really talented players that you're going to skim over because he doesn't fit into the 1990s little, uh, you know, height, weight, uh, arm or hand size, and all those different things that people drafted on for a long time. If they don't fit those criteria, you're passing on them, you're passing on some really good talent.
1: Well let me ask you this, Teddy, and and, and I'm gonna ask this in kind of a reverse mode. At what point do you believe, regardless of a quarterback's talent in college, does the height issue become a potential problem in the NFL? Does he have to be as short as five eight? Because, you know, there are there are those people who will get all scared if the guy's five ten. Uh, now we got Murray's measurements coming in at the combine and everybody got really happy about that because oh, he's a terrific talent and he's taller than people thought. Where does it, where's the cutoff line? Do you think where, Hey, you know what? No, that's, that's just too short. He doesn't have to be six, three anymore, but where is too short?
2: I don't think there is a cutoff for too short. I think that you have to study each guy individually on film. Good answer. You know, mm-hmm. because for Baker Mayfield, the cutoff was six uh, six foot tall, right? Well, right. if he's under six foot tall, uh, we can't do it. But if he's over six foot tall, okay. Well, now with Kyler Murray, the bar's 5'10". If he's under 5'10", there's no way we can take him. But if he is 5'10", okay, well, then he passes. It's the film. Guys, it's the film. You look at the offensive lines that both of these guys played against, or played behind at Oklahoma, six foot five, six foot six. Uh, Orlando Brown, six foot eight, for Baker Mayfield to throw behind. Uh, there's going to be four draft picks off of this offensive line from Kyler Murray. Okay, that's who he threw behind, and he did it. I don't remember. I mean, I'm sure there was a ball or two batted down, but it definitely wasn't a problem.
3: I don't no, remember. It
2: wasn't. I, I can't, off the top of my head, think of a time uh, a ball got batted down.
0: Uh, Teddy, last one on on Kyler Murray from me.
2: Let me just really quickly to follow up. of course. That's another point where I was talking about the data suggests that the ball's coming out of the quarterback's hands quicker. Mm -hmm. That's because they want to get it out before there's a pass rusher, before those guys can set up to block the pass down. Sure. So there's a lot of lateral stuff instead of straight over the middle. You're giving it to receivers in the slot and outside guys on some stop routes and stuff. So... The size of the offensive and defensive line in front of you isn't nearly as relevant.
0: Absolutely. And by the way, I could hear the pain in your voice as a former linebacker describing how the league protects quarterbacks these days.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt about it. Things changing, and it's only going to get worse. No, I know, so, I, know. I know.
1: Teddy, the only thing you can do now is get close enough to say, "Hey, where would you like to go for dinner?" Yeah. And even that could That's be right.
0: a flag. <laughs> All right. Uh,
2: yeah, there's no doubt, guys.
0: Teddy, last one on Kyler, and and this is even independent of of the Casterly report. Just in terms of his leadership style, you know, I, I I watched him talk at the podium at the combine. I've gone back. I've watched some of his longer interviews. Yeah, I don't want to... Use, I've been trying to think of the right word. I don't think is the right word. I don't think shy is the right word. Maybe soft-spoken. You know, he doesn't go out there. You know, he doesn't seem like he's super comfortable talking in front of a big group. How would you define his leadership style at the position? Because there isn't just one. Eli Manning leads a lot different than Peyton Manning does, for example. So everybody can be different. How would you describe him as a leader, which I think at the quarterback position, to a certain extent, you have to be one?
2: I wouldn't... Well... I'll disagree with that a little bit. Okay, go ahead. As a quarterback, you don't need to be a leader, all right? You need to be a winner. I, no one cares what you say. These these are 25, 30-year-old grown men that make billions of dollars a year. They don't need someone on the sideline giving them a rah-rah speech. Oh, no, okay? no, no, no Teddy, ab- well,
0: the, Teddy, absolutely, and that's why if he's a guy that leads by example and doesn't say anything, that's fine.
2: That, at, at the end of the day, guys, you can be a loudmouth, idiot. It doesn't matter if you're winning football games; no one cares, <laughs> right? You're right. No, you're right. They don't care. Sure, they don't care. You can be you can be the, the nicest guy, mm-hmm. the uh, the do everything right, and if you're losing games, no one cares. See, David Carr. Okay. Yeah. yeah. David Carr's crying on the sideline because, and this is a great guy, he's a good quarterback, but if you're not winning games, no one cares, right? Mm -hmm. No one cares what you have to say. But if you're winning, you say whatever you want, dude. You go do you. You go make those (laughs) throws. You make those runs. We don't care what you have to say. So I think the leadership thing gets, gets, you know, way over scrutinized. Can you win? And this kid can win. He's always won. You've never lost a high school game. Okay, whenever he was at Oklahoma, it was never in doubt that he's going to take you out there and win the football game.
0: All right, well, so let me take it in a different angle then. In terms of the offense, he was asked to run at Oklahoma. Do you feel that he went through his progressions to the same extent that, that Baker did when he was there last year? Because I thought, you know, a lot of people threw Baker into the, oh, it's a college system. He does not make in the reads. If you watch Baker play last year, he made all the reads. He was reading the whole field, going going through his progressions. Did you think Murray did so to the same extent that Mayfield did when he came out of Oklahoma last year?
2: Yeah, maybe better. Oh, wow, okay. Um, But here's the difference. Both guys were coached really well, ran the system really well. Kyler got to learn from Baker and sit behind him and learn the system. So when he stepped in, it was a seamless transition. It really was. Right? So both guys can make all the throws. And Lincoln's system is really simple, right? They don't do a whole lot of stuff. No. No they get to a handful of plays a bunch of different ways, but they just they really don't do a whole lot of different things. So it's not an overly complicated system, mm-hmm. which you're starting to see more in the NFL. Let's strip everything back. Let's go a little bit quicker. Absolutely. Let's get the ball out of the quarterback's hand. So that's starting to happen at the next level too. Um, so I, I would say that he does go up through all his reads. Now, here's the question. I had the same question mark about Baker Mayfield last year, and I'll have the same question mark about Kyler this year. What's his offensive line look like? Mm, okay. Good point. Baker Mayfield had the best offensive line in college football the year he won the Heisman Trophy. Mm-hmm. Kyler Murray had the best offensive line the year he won the Heisman Trophy. Right, He's got four draft picks coming out. Mm-hmm. And the center who's coming back is the best center in the country, and he'll be at Oklahoma. He'll be a first-round pick here in the next, next couple of years, Creed Humphrey. So w- what's the offensive line look like on the next level for Kyler? If, if he's got a bad offensive line, they can't protect him. He can't go through his progressions. He's going to struggle just like any other quarterback would.
1: Well, Teddy, you just set us up for the next question because we got to go to Cody Ford, who, by most accounts, <clears throat> excuse me, should be a top 10 pick. And yet, there seems to be a difference. We were at the combine, okay, John and I. We spent three days there. We talked to a lot of NFL personnel folks. And there are those who say, okay, right away, plug and play, right tackle, top 10 pick, going to be fine. Others say, ah, tackle, not so sure. Maybe a guard. He's got to be a guard. He's going to be a great guard, but he's a guard. He's not a tackle. Where do you stand?
2: Um. Oh, That's tough. I would prefer him at guard, but he can play tackle just fine. Uh, there's, there's, He's better than several tackles at the next level uh, can step in and play that position. What I think is great, and you look at all these different guys coming out for Oklahoma on the offensive line, Drew Samia is going to be a guard. I think he should try and uh, play some center at the next level. He started as a right tackle as a true freshman Okay, so for Bill Bedenbo. Uh So these guys, all of them that are coming out, have experience at a bunch of different spots. And I think that versatility helps because you're limited in numbers on the offensive line. You go through a long season. There's going to be injuries. You're going to have to move some guys around. And I think the fact that Cody Ford, Drew Samia, those guys can play some different positions, should help their draft status. I mean, you you, you want to take if you're taking a, a top half of the first round pick on a tackle, you want to you don't want to be taking a you know utility offensive lineman that's going to play everywhere. You want to have him you know earmarked for a spot. I think he's a tackle, but I also think that he would be a great guard in the NFL. And I don't think there's any problem with taking a mauler at guard. See Quentin Nelson and what he's done <laughs> in the NFL. So I don't think there's and there's been more value on guards here in the last, I don't know, three or four years. So sure. I think he's fine. Wherever they want to play him, he'll thrive. All
1: right, so if I'm getting you right, you think he might be a better guard, not that he would be a bad tackle, but a better guard. What is it a tackle that would make that maybe 1A choice instead of number one? Why didn't you flip it the other way and say he'd be a better tackle? What is it about his game that makes you feel that way?
2: Uh, because he's he's a mauler, right? If, if you watch film on him, I mean, it, all the offensive linemen at Oklahoma have developed this mean streak, and, and it, it started a long time ago with Jamal Brown. and uh, He came in and started kind of mentoring these guys. Orlando Brown took that to heart, and they play – they play nasty, they play mean, I mean, borderline dirty, pass the whistle, and Cody Ford is kind of the embodiment of that. And I, I just I feel like a mauler position at guard is going to suit him a little bit better at the next level. He's quick enough for tackle. Um, he's heavy enough for tackle. I wonder about his length a little bit. Uh, you know, he's not incredibly long. I think he's 6'4". Okay, so he's going to be quite a bit shorter than, than most of your top tackles in the NFL. And if I'm taking a tackle in the top 15, I want him 6'7". I want him about 3'10". I want him incredibly athletic. And to me, he doesn't fit that criteria.
1: Got it.
0: Yeah, he came in with 34-inch arms, which is good. It's not great, but it's, it, it, it's certainly good enough. Let's go to Jusamia. You mentioned him already. You think he's going to transition into guard at the pro level. Uh, I agree. I think that's where he's going to fit. Uh how do you think he fits in at guard? What are his strengths? What are his weaknesses?
2: I think he's great at guard. I think he. I personally think he should play center. Um, he is really smart. He's really experienced. I think he's. He was knocking on the door for the most starts ever at Oklahoma for an offensive lineman. Uh, he was really close on that. I think he was maybe one or two away. Uh, so he's played a ton of football. Like I said, he he, he started at tackle as a true freshman for Bill Beed and the year that, the first year they went to the college football playoff. Um, transitioned to to guard and has done really well. He's he's physically aggressive, plays with really good footwork, and he's he's so experienced that I think he would transition. He can ID all the front. He learns the defenses really well. He's been coached by the best offensive line coach in the country so he's got the ability to to spot fronts call out blitzes and stuff and uh I, I, there's a there's a need for really good centers I, I think if you can get a great center uh you can you know you can really do something with an offensive line and for him personally you can stick around in the league a lot longer at center than you can any other position so i think he's, he's got the ability to do both he's another guy that's incredibly aggressive uh, he, he blows people off the football but all, all these offensive linemen have good quick feet because they're asked to pull a lot in this offense. They run the counter OTs their go-to play where they pull both the guard and the tackle. So all these guys are really athletic, getting around uh, you know, getting getting across the line of scrimmage and, and going and getting linebackers, getting safeties so yeah, I think he kind of all the boxes
4: there.
0: Yeah, Teddy, you actually transitioned perfectly. Again, I was going to ask you about the scheme. You mentioned they run some power stuff. How much are they in three-point stances? Uh, How much are they told to actually get off the ball and, and, you know, maul and push defensive linemen back? Is outside zone stuff? Uh, Just how how much of a change are they going to have to figure out going from what they're asked to do at Oklahoma to what they're going to be asked to do in the NFL? Well,
2: they do a bunch of different stuff at Oklahoma. They do zone schemes. They do... uh you know some of your power gap schemes and stuff guys the nfl's changed okay so in the 90s you could as an offensive lineman it's a run and play right you get you get in your three point stance and you fire off the football sure. into the defensive lineman okay you can't do that anymore if you if you fire off into jj J. watt he's going to grab you and throw you on your
3: face <laughs> you're going to be
2: leaning <laughs> forward so happy, right So these defensive linemen have gotten so good at using their hands that they've had to change the way they block. So now guys come off the ball, they don't come off the ball nearly as hard. Now they're aggressive, but they have their hips under them, they roll their hips forward, and they take these small choppy steps. So instead of blasting into a guy, they're more controlled steps. And and these guys at Oklahoma are, are coached really well on that now there's going to be times obviously short yardage when everyone knows what's happening that people are going to be firing off the football Um, that's going to happen but for the most part it's got to be a more controlled uh type of block run block now and these guys are all really good at that well
1: let me ask you this teddy cody ford we've already discussed he should be in the top half of the first round but you're talking about Uh, Samia uh, Ben Powers and Bobby Evans both projected to be NFL guards those are the other two of the four offensive linemen that you were talking about let's just separate Ford between the other three guys do you see them as being second and third round potential plug and play players that an NFL team could get them at I don't want to use the word bargain necessarily but where's the reasonable slot for those guys thinking that they could compete for a starting job come August
2: um, I think Cody Ford could start right away. I think Drew Samia could start right away. I think Bobby Evans, given the right system, uh, could work him, himself onto a roster and the same with Ben powers. Drew Samia guys is going to be a, uh, he's going to be a diamond in the rough for somebody. I don't know how high he's going to get drafted, but he's going to play a long time in the NFL. I'll tell you that right now. he will play 10 years, barring injury. Mm.
0: What what positions do you see Evans and Powers landing at on the offensive line? Do you see him as swing guys that can move along the line?
2: For, for Powers? Powers uh, and Evans, yeah. I, I think Powers is going to be a guard. Evans, it's hard to say with him. He's really athletic as a tackle. So he kind of fits the scheme. He's got really long arms. He's really athletic. So he could play tackle in the right system. I think he's more of a tackle than he is a guard. So... Um, and that's where all his experience is. But it's here's what I always tell people: it's easy, The the closer you get to the football, both offense and defense, the easier it is to play. So if he's struggling at tackle, they could move him down to a guard, and it be a, life would be a lot easier on. Him.
1: All right, we got one more for you. That's the wide receiver, Marquise Brown. Hollywood. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, we're, we're sticking offense here with, with the Oklahoma prospects. Uh, it, it does seem like it's one-sided. It is the Big 12 after all, Paul. In, <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, Chetty, some thoughts on on what he will bring to the table when he gets to an NFL camp.
2: I like Marquise Brown a lot. Um, he's clearly a burner. He's, he's a guy I probably would have ran, you know, Four two would not have been a surprise if Marquise Brown ran a forty at pro day. Um, he's he, he's he's small. And I'm a guy that I'm not big on small wide receivers. Um, I, I, I'm just not. Uh, I don't think I don't think it translates well to the NFL. I want size. Now, ultimately, you want a guy that can do it all, right? You want size. You want speed. You want all that. But if you're going to be small, you need to be fast, and he is fast. I just. I can't think of a guy, a small guy, that's an absolute burner that has really been worthy of a first-round pick. I mean, can you guys – is there anyone that you can think of that as a first-round pick – because the guy that I would compare him – Closest to is Corey Coleman, who was I, taken in his first round. Teddy, I and would say the or only John Ross from Washington. Yeah, the only right. guy
0: that maybe you could talk about is Deshaun Jackson. I think he's maybe the only guy yeah, in true. that
1: mix. I, I, I think, I, I think he's probably his best target. You know what I mean? And believe me, Teddy, the way Deshaun Jackson has eaten up the Giants over his career, <laughs> everybody in New York could say he's worth the first round pick. <laughs> right, well,
2: here's the thing about Deshaun, Deshaun Jackson. He's a dog. Now he, he will. I mean. He's super aggressive. Sure. I mean, he wants the football. Marquise Brown, I mean he every wide receiver wants the football, but I don't know that he's got that aggressive streak like a Deshaun Jackson does. I don't know. I mean, I think he can be a really productive guy in the NFL. It just depends where he goes. If he goes into a good offensive system, I think he could he could fit nicely and have some nice production. If he goes somewhere with a ho hum quarterback, I think the guy could, you know, just really fade. So I don't know. The other thing is he's got a Liz Frank injury. Yeah. Um, he had the surgery. Now, I had this surgery. This is this surgery is basically what kind of ended my NFL mm-hmm. career. And they've gotten a lot better at the surgery than they were when they, they did it on my foot. But here's the thing. It's, it's going to yeah. depend on the team and what their history with that injury is. Some teams may have had a guy that had a Liz Frank, came right back, played five more years, was completely fine. Other teams may have had a couple of guys that were never the same after it. So that's going to be a big factor to watch because it's a, it's a, really, it's a big entry. Now, when you talk about cutting on one of his wheels, that's, that's what makes him who he is, yep. is his speed. And you're cutting on a foot. And he's had a foot surgery. What does that do for him? It can change your gait. It can, can really start to mess. You can have hamstring problems afterwards. So that's something to watch with him. Um, I personally would not take him in the first round if I were a GM.
0: Teddy, and this is why we have you on. Great, honest information. Uh, in terms of his route tree, how much work does he have to do? I know you said Oklahoma. They kind of stick to some core plays that they get to with you know different ways with motion and things like that. How advanced is his route tree, and how much is he going to have to work on that heading to the next level?
2: Um his route he, he's gotten better at first he was a down the field guy that's all he was right we just threw it as far as we could and <laughs> let him run under it And that was that was what he did but he started running more comeback routes started running some fade patterns where they'd throw it up and let him go up and make a play uh, he'll catch some stuff across the middle and convert it uh, after the catch for some nice yardage so he's a guy that you know the lazy take is to look at him and say, well, he's just a deep threat. I don't think that's the case with him. Uh, that's definitely his best weapon is that he can take, you know, he'll take some short crossing routes and you hit him in stride and safety's just can't make up the angle on him to the sideline and he'll just turn it up for a touchdown once he gets across the field. So, I mean, he's, he's a danger with the ball in his hand anywhere, just because of that speed and he's got some pretty good elusiveness as well. So, I mean, I, I honestly think his his route tree, it pretty much has everything. It's going to be difficult for him on the perimeter against top corners in, in the NFL because sure. of their size, uh, competing on some of those comeback routes and out routes. But he can he can run everything.
0: Yeah, and, and you don't necessarily see the, the press coverage you'll see in college that he'll probably see in the NFL as well, see how he handles that as well. Teddy, awesome. Let's set the date next year, same day, same time. <laughs> 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 And we'll talk about whatever Oklahoma player is going to get drafted first overall next year. Another half a dozen guys. Easy, right? Teddy, great stuff, man. We really good. appreciate it. Thank it sounds you.
2: Sounds good. I'm clearing the schedule now. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Teddy. Thanks, Teddy.
0: That's Teddy, That's Teddy Lehman, former NFL linebacker, and, of course, uh, covers Oklahoma down there as their sideline analyst
1: on the radio. This he's fantastic. really good. He's awesome. He's really, really and good. And he's honest. He's well, honest. And, again, he played the game at the highest level. Yep. So this is a guy who... Unlike maybe some other folks you might talk to who can only look at a fellow from the press box or maybe look at him from past college experience, this is a guy who had to translate it to the pro game. And so I, I love how he even tried to compare the errors and how the game has changed at the NFL level. Absolutely. He was even putting that into consideration. And, and he's right he's right about everything he said,
0: by the so, way. So, I mean, wow, great stuff. 201-939-4513. We'll get to your phone calls in just a second. Have you moved on Kyler Murray at all
1: on your thoughts on him? I don't think he's a good fit for the Giants, period. I don't dispute his athleticism. I don't dispute the, the, the take production. Out fit for a second. Take out fit. You're a ge- your generic
0: NFL franchise, and you're willing to build your offense around the quarterback. What do you think about Murray that way? He's got a skill set. Would he
1: be a top 15 pick for you? Probably not. Okay, I was just wondering where you were on him, but but I, I do admit, uh, and I, I never was against his skill set because I I, I have oh, s- since watched some cut ups. Oh, enough. he's very talented throwing. My the goodness, he can unload it.
0: <laughs> he can throw the football, man. I told
1: you. There his, is his no arm, question. His arm talent in terms of strength and accuracy, it's darn near unmatched. There is no question about his ability to wing it long, and and that's pretty exciting. Okay. Uh, the, the the height still bothers me, no matter how much Teddy wants to downplay that. I, I it's think still it, a problem I for think me. I think
0: it does prevent you from doing some things that you might want to do. Okay,
1: yeah. I agree with you on that. It's an extra hurdle,
0: let's now, put it that way. I don't think it's insurmountable issue. Agreed with that as well. But it's something that he has to work around, which is what Steve Young used to do back in the day, Drew Brees has to do, Russell Wilson has to do. Everyone works around what they have to deal with. It's possible, but it, makes, it adds an un- another level to the evaluation.
1: See, let me take him out of it and just say player x yeah okay player x when you take him in the top five top 10 even top 15 the idea is to take a guy who you have the fewest questions about correct the guy who you think will have the least hurdles to overcome to be a success across the board. The basically it's the percent okay?
0: chance they have of meeting their true potential. Now, and
1: that's what you're looking at. I'm not saying Kyler Murray doesn't have a tremendous skill set. He does. But there are certain things starting with the height, then we can talk about the system of the offense, the lack of complexity of the offense that he ran. Okay. Uh the experience level, obviously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Didn't play a ton of games in college. Mm-hmm. These are now hurdles. That you're throwing in front of him. And again, I'm speaking uh, um, hyp- uh, hypothetically. Uh, uh, hypothetically, mm-hmm. Hurdles that he has to overcome in order to become the true blue chip lock stock prospect that you're going to want to draft at that
0: level. How surprised would you be if he made a Pro Bowl in three years? Moderately surprised? Not really surprised? Or very surprised? I would be surprised. So moderately surprised.
1: <laughs> no, that's a
0: different thing than surprised. Okay. okay, so you would just be straight out surprised. I would be straight right. out surprised. That's fine. Okay,
1: but he is my number one quarterback in the class. Again, with this with this, this everlasting uh, love affair right now uh, that, that seems to we're, we're in with these types of quarterbacks, more running mm-hmm. quarterbacks, more athletic quarterbacks. That's the cycle we're in right now. Yeah, but I don't think you draft him because he's a runner. Well, I think it helps.
0: It helps you because sure. it obviously it, it's something a defense has to prepare See, for. But you don't pick a guy because he's a runner. You pick a guy because the running complements what you think is his ability to right, pass the ball. Right. Right.
1: Right. right. Now, here's here, again, John. It, it's not a question you can actually answer in a bubble. There really are so many sure. different facets to the question. Absolutely. And conditions to the question. And I think that's where, you know, for me. There were too many of those hurdles for me that he's got to overcome to be a totally clean prospect. And I'm not saying he can't overcome them. I'm just saying that of those course. hurdles are there. Yeah. I was just trying to That's get... a problem for me. I was trying to get to where you, what
0: your level of confidence was in terms of how if he's going to be able to overcome those obstacles or not.
1: And I think you gave me a pretty good feel for it. I that. would take Haskins before I took Murray. Really, you would? I would because I'm still a pocket passer guy. Who wants the big, strong guy? And and I get the Teddy. teddy teddy's right. I see yeah, mm-hmm. the, the, the bit of a trend that we have right now. But is it just a trend? Is it a fad? Or is it a true change in the league? Fair. I don't know that yet. Now, a few years ago, teams didn't want to yeah. run the ball at all. But now they're finding out over the last three or four years, guess what? Teams that have the best running games are the teams that are making the playoffs. Because... Guess what? What goes around comes around, folks. Old school always circles around to the front again.
0: I go back and forth. I think I'm going to end up with Murray as my number one just because I think that his optimum result is higher than I with what I think Haskins is. I think Murray's a more physically gifted quarterback. You know what I mean? Could just be. in terms of ability to throw the ball, accuracy, better athlete, all those things. Now, obviously, Haskins' measurables are better in terms of the size and things like that. But and you that's have to why, quantify where you Exactly, 100%. Right. But I, I, I don't I don't think there's a ton of distance between them, but I think I'm going to end up with Murray as my number one. All anyway, right. let's get to the calls at 201. And do you think the Cardinals take him
1: first overall or no? If I made you guess now. I'm starting to think that they might. I think it would be a mistake. I think they should take Vosa. I agree with both those sentiments. And um,
0: we're going to have to see. But I agree yeah. with both those sentiments. 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. Heck, if you don't draft Bosa, if someone wants to trade up to get Murray, you get a
1: boatload of picks for him. You sure would. Boatload. And oh, and, oh, by the way, wouldn't it be great for the Giants if both quarterbacks went in the top five? So well, that what, for you, I don't think for a lot of Giants well, fans, for you, baby, t- t- tell me you wouldn't like to see Quentin Williams or Josh Allen drop down well, to the Giants at six. They wouldn't. What would if happens if the first three position
0: players are Allen Williams, Bosa and the two quarterbacks and then none of those guys are still there at six. Could happen. <laughs> all right. Could happen. It's all presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light rewards app to an amazing Giants prize. You don't get away with it that easily. Pitino. <laughs> Let's go to Ken in Brooklyn. It'll be our first caller today. Ken, thank you for being patient. How are you?
3: Hey, how you guys doing? Hello, doing Great, what's up, Paul? You're not a loser. Um, all right, I just he is not. We agree. He is <laughs> not a
1: loser, Ken. Thank you. I'm just old school, pal. That's all. He's I'm an, just
0: old school. He's um. annoying. He's an irritant, <laughs> but he is not a loser.
3: Um, I have uh, a point flash question about uh, or about Gilman, and it's been I have time a question to Paul regarding Murray. Sure. Um. uh, As far as Gettleman. So Gettleman's plan last year was to win as many games as possible, correct?
0: Yeah, and frankly, I think that's pretty much his plan every year.
3: I think, Correct. I think to I really be
1: honest, like that. that was also tied to he had to clean up the locker room. It was a very, very, very high priority right next to winning games yeah, and Ken, and, and, that Gettleman would get this roster more of the fabric that he was looking for.
0: And if you want more detail on it, go to Giants.com, read Cover 3. I wrote about it probably about a good 700 words or so on it on Monday. Dan Salmon wanted to kill me because it was way really too long. But basically, he, he here's the thing with, with Gettleman's plan. He wants to rebuild the roster, plan for the future, but at the same time compete and win as many games as possible. He does not believe in the bottoming out theory. Now, if you're a fan, you disagree with that. I understand. I get it. And that's your right, and I understand why you disagree. With it. A lot of the analytics say it's better to bottom out. It's, it's more productive to win two games than to win seven games. But I believe Dave Gettleman believes, and frankly, ownership believes as well, that they'd much rather put a seven-win product on the field than a two-win product on the field. That's you know. just the way they believe. Fans disagree with that. The analytics disagree with that. But that's the way the organization looks at it. So he helps the short-term without jeopardizing the long-term, which is the bigger and more important project.
1: It's, that's how I look at it's it. It's a very challenging plan. It's it's, ver- it's a very,
0: very tough needle to thread. Very, very, tough very difficult to, th- to
1: yes. do. But then again, didn't people always say years and years ago that anything worth something is going to be hard? <laughs> you got to work for it. Go ahead, Ken.
3: And, and I, I, like I said, I disagree with the premise, but we're operating under the, you know, Gilman's plan here, so we're just kind of going with it. So okay. Assuming, assuming his plan, it didn't work out last year, but let's assume that it works this year, and we win seven, eight games, maybe, if things really, really work out, nine. Okay. Doesn't it, doesn't it make, isn't it obvious and almost necessary to take the quarterback this year? Ken,
0: you, that's be, a good
3: point. We're going to be picking. We're going to be picking mid. Like let's assume everything works out. We're going to be picking mid first round, maybe a little later. And we have a surplus of draft picks this year. We're picking six this year. So isn't it almost like we're going to be negligent to like wait till next year and neuter our 2020 and 2021 drafts to move up when... We're in the position that we are this year?
1: See, I don't think there's a concrete black and white answer to that. And I and I know that, you know, you obviously feel as you do. John, John's in agreement with you. And, and, and I'm not and, gonna tell you it's wrong. Wait, and and, but, and and he makes fair points. But but here's the other right. fair point to that. The Giants have twelve draft picks this year. Okay. We don't know what's gonna happen in this following offseason, let's assume they win eight games. Okay, let's let's say Giants go eight and eight. And they and, pick in 15th. Then, and they're right? going to pick in the middle of the first round. 16th, seventeen. Okay, mm-hmm. now, here's there are a couple of ways you can look at it from the other side. I'm going to give you options. I'm not going to tell you that you're right or you're wrong. I'm simply going to give you other options to consider. If there are four or five first-round draft uh, draftable quarterbacks in 2020, which is what a lot of people seem to believe. Anywhere from three to five is what people ask. Okay. Now. Chances are at 15, you probably will get a shot at one of them, at least one of them, because most of the young quarterbacks have been placed in the last couple of years. There may not be more than two or three teams that are going to be looking for one next year. That is certainly debatable. Possible. A lot could happen between sure. now and then. Sure. But that's a reasonable approach to 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 entertain. If you're fifteen and you only got to get up maybe even five spots, if all of a sudden it looks like a couple of teams want somebody, you don't have to give away the entire farm and the grandma's estate to move up from fifteen to ten. Yeah, you're assuming though that you're good with okay. any of
0: the five. What happens if you're only if you're well, only good
1: with one or two of the again, five? Again, these are right. they're all unknowns. Of course. Okay, none of us have a crystal ball that's 100% because if we did, it wouldn't be crystal. It would be be gold. No, but Ken,
0: your larger point is the point that I made last year when we went through this draft process. When you have the opportunity to draft a guy that you think could be the franchise guy, you take it because you never know when you're going to have the opportunity next. And to to a certain extent, that
1: applies this year too. Yet here is the other facet that you have to look at. Again, I'm not telling you you're right or wrong. The other facet you have to look at is Gettleman has 12 draft picks this year. He's not going to use all 12. He could acquire picks in next year's draft. That's not a bad point, too. He could use some of these picks to help his draft capital for next year, which would make it easier for him to try to move up if he wants to. And I'm even going to give you another angle to look at. And that is this this crop of prospects is heavy on defense. If you can get that one guy to help solidify your O-line, and draft three or four really, really terrific players on defense, you have strengthened up all the other parts around your team to where now, guess what? You've got a lot of young talent, good talent, on the defensive side of the ball, which means, John, now you don't have to worry about that for the next three to four years, and you can right. concentrate on going to get your QB because all of the other body parts will be in place. You always have to refill your talent pool, though. You know that. Understood. Right. But the bulk of the heart of what you're going to be relying on as your foundation will have been acquired now. Ken, can, can the final thing I'll say. There's no right or wrong here. It really isn't. Ken, the final thing I'll say, and um,
0: then I'll let you make your final point before you hang up. If they do not choose to choose a quarterback this year, or maybe they never are put in the position to choose a quarterback this year. Because for me at least, I'm of the opinion where you pick one at six or you don't pick one. I'm not a big fan of picking these second and third tier guys. I don't think they tend to work out. I want want a high upside quarterback, and I don't think you're getting one even at 17. Correct. I'm not interested in that. We'll see what the Giants do. They might think that these guys have high upside, and – Frankly, they know a lot more about evaluating quarterbacks than I do, so I would defer to them on that. But if you if you do not draft a quarterback these years or you're not in the position to draft one that you like, then I would certainly trade down and get extra picks for next year to put yourself in position. And frankly, if you trade down to 12 or 13 and you wind up with Brian Burns and Cody Ford instead of Montez sweating Cody Ford, you know what? Cool. I'm fine with that. If that means I have another pick in the following year's draft.
1: Ken, the real problem here is that there truly is no right answer today. There, there are there are probably about seven or eight different blueprints that you could take, if if you're Dave Gettleman, and and none of them, none of them can be proven right before the fact. That's that's honest. I'm being honest with you. Go ahead, Ken. The only
3: the only other thing I'll say regarding that is if is that we're to take Dave Gettleman at his word. He keeps bringing up this Kansas City model. He lives on his last last year's contract. He wants somebody underneath him for a year. Got sure, this sure. Year. I'm just saying it makes way, way, way too much sense uh, to pick it this year. Just, Press just, just. hang
1: Ken, just remember the variable. Uh, it's not impossible that Eli Manning gets a one-year extension. And, let, let,
0: let's not go there, Paul. No, but it's not.
1: I don't want to make the show about that. But the point is, if, if he wants to say we have to take Gettleman right. at his word that he would like to have a mentor for the young guy, that could happen in 2020. Right. It's not impossible. No, it's not. And it's not irrational As Dave
0: said on the radio to Mike Francesa the other day, he would like to get it accomplished this year if he can. If he can. If it works out, he would like to accomplish it this year. That two-letter
1: word, if, holds a lot of beef, doesn't it? Woody and Walton, he's up (laughs) next. What's up, Woody? Hello.
5: Hey, guys. How you doing? What's going on? What's up? Hey, Paul, i got to tell you, I'm an old-school guy, too, and I'd be ecstatic if Gettleman picked two or three hog mollies on each side of the ball. I'm with hey, you, my friend. Total hog
1: molly. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And by, by the way, the way Teddy Lehman was talking about those Oklahoma Sooners, Sooners who will get a lot of corn-fed beef, my goodness, they, they got a lot of hog mollies on that old line, don't they?
5: Okay, you guys kind of hit on some of the stuff I was going to hit on Gettleman's plans People don't seem to understand what's going on. I don't think it's that difficult. It's not. I mean, winning while you build is really coming from the mayors and Tishas. They, they want their ticket holders to see as many victories as possible.
0: That's correct.
5: I, I, I mean, and I'm happy with what they've done at the safety position. I know I hated to see Landon go, but I think they've got a couple pretty good ball players there. And Kevin Baitler is a very good guard. I, I I don't have issues with what's going on. And, you know, what you got back for Odell, who knows? I mean, yeah, he's a great player. There were a lot of stuff that I didn't care for from him. I'm old school. I just say, you know, you go down, score your touchdown, you hand the fish to the ball, you shut up and go back to the huddle. But that's just me. <laughs> but uh, offense, I think, really, we're only looking at right tackle on the for starters, really. I'm... I'm happy with the receivers we have. The O-line depth, quarterback of the future, I mean, right tackle, that's basically your offensive plan. Defensively, we can use help everywhere. Corner, edge rusher. I'd love to see a couple of edge rushers in those top four or five picks. And and I I don't think we're as far away as people think we are. I'm not saying we're going to the Super Bowl. But I don't think we're going to be as bad as people think.
1: Let let me ask you one question while I have you on the line, and and I appreciate you calling in. Um, I appreciate the fact that the Giants do need to find their next franchise quarterback, and and if they can get the guy this year, if they believe in someone and have him sit behind Eli in 19, God bless them. That would be a, a wonderful thing to be able to check that box. I understand that totally. But, you know if this defensive draft which we've all been told is just ripe with terrific pass rushers especially in the first round if the giants took two pass rushers at 6 and 17 okay I don't know how you could cry at that because... As long as they're the best players on the board, then yeah. yes, I got no problem If with it. they are, if they are that highly rated, and they got two guys, let's just say it's 6 and 17, who are double-digit sack guys, like if they get sweat and feral or sweat and burns? How can you be mad about that? Really? Yeah, I mean, think about no. that. When we know that pass rushers are also at a very high premium in this or, league, why not take two guys who could dominate that
5: side of the ball? What, what's so bad about that? Nothing. If that were the case, I would
0: run to the podium. <laughs> Thank you, Woody. Appreciate Thanks, the call, Woody. my friend. And by the way,
1: maybe maybe it's Ed Oliver that drops. Maybe it's
5: Rashad Gary
1: that drops. Or like I, I said, know. what if Quentin Williams drops to six? This guy's supposed to be an incredible pass rush force from the inside. I mean, you know, revisit history. You think anybody who passed on Aaron Donald is a little upset that they didn't take him now or Fletcher Cox, right? I mean, what, what is so—people people talk about this like, oh, you don't want to take a quarterback. It's almost like, okay, so that means if you could wind up with an absolute bonafide, dominating pass rusher, you're going to be upset? You're going to cry? No, but having the franchise quarterback is the most important position in the league. I get it. Of course. I get it. But, but just agree to disagree. Don't be! Don't be throwing flaming torches at the house and burn it down for God's sake! Stop acting like such a loser, Paul. You know what?
0: 539-4513. <laughs> Christian in New York is next. What's up, Christian? <laughs> Christian, hey, you there? Guys. Yeah. What's up?
4: Um, Hi. I haven't called in a couple of weeks. I'm still uh, adjusting to this whole uh, transition with the whole, you know, kind of identity of the team when you look at it. But I, I'm just going to talk about the receivers we have. Um, Shepard and Tate are obviously really good, and you know, like from a true like ratings standpoint, that's a that's just a that's a fine one-two. Sure, but they got to replace some serious air yards because those guys do their best work within about ten yards of the line of scrimmage. And I know Latimer is good, but and you know he displayed the ability to get vertical last year, but he was barely healthy. So I think they need to get a guy in here. That'll really make us. That'll really make defenses respect us over the top.
0: Christian, I don't disagree. I think at some point, whether it's in the day two or early day three of the draft, that you want to try to find a burner that maybe is a little bit raw, but he has the speed to stretch the field. I
1: wouldn't have a problem with that. I mean, look, you figure they're going to have five wide receivers on the opening day roster. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you have room if you if you want to tell me right now, and I'll accept it that that Shepard and Tate are the only locks, and everybody else behind those two are going to be involved in a competition. And may the best guys win to fill out the most varied roles you can possibly have on your five-man receiving core. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Yeah, that's fine.
4: Yeah, and like as, as much as I'd like to get a big guy, uh, I, I think we're going to run into a lot of problems schematically if teams are just kind of sitting on our offense because they're not afraid of anybody going deep. But um, I, see, see,
0: I don't think uh, Shepard and Tate, I don't think they're incapable of going deep Christian. I just think they've been used in those roles since they've been in the league. So I think they're a little bit more versatile than what you're giving them credit for.
4: I mean, yeah, it, you know, it can happen. Um, I just, I don't think teams are going to necessarily respect it. And I think that's the way. Well, you got to make them pay then. Really, it, 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 yeah, if exactly. they don't
1: respect it, you got to make them pay and you got to make them respect it. Look, in a perfect world,
4: exactly. that receiving um, core another, would.
1: Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
4: Oh, sorry. Uh, another thing I wanted to mention today. Um, uh, you mentioned something about how you know you'd rather skip on quarterback if you're not getting who seems like the top prospects, and it seems like a lot of fans are starting to become like really worried that Daniel Jones is going to become a target at 17 because I, I've watched a lot of him in college and he really has a non-existent deep ball, and I I just I know it can work, but personally, I'd really like to see a quarterback that can do everything. So, I really hope that they, you know, either get one of those top guys or just skip. All
0: right, appreciate the call, Christian. Understood. And generally, I'm of that opinion. Um, I've talked about Jones on the show. I've been open with it. Again, uh, the Giants and Pat Shermer, and you know, everybody else here that Mike Shula and that's going to evaluate the quarterbacks with Dave Gettleman knows a lot more about evaluating quarterbacks than I do. Uh, Jones, his numbers in college were underwhelming. And a lot of times you won't really see Paul quarterbacks do better statistically in the NFL than they do in college. It doesn't really happen that often. Um, I think he's a guy that's really fundamentally sound. He's smart. He knows what he's doing. You could tell he's been coached well by David Cutcliffe. All those things are absolutely accurate. But I just wonder what the if the underlying talent of the player is high enough, you know what I mean, where the upside is there, where he can be like that Next, Eli Manning, for lack of a better phrase, Mm -hmm. to to be worth that early pick. And heck, what do I know? But from watching, that's my concern with him. I think he'll be diligent, he'll be smart, he'll do the right things, he'll do everything fundamentally sound. But is that base of
1: talent there? I'm I'm not positive. Well, every one of these quarterbacks, to go back to the analogy I used before, has at least one hurdle in front of him that he's got to jump. You're not saying he can't do it. You just don't know how successful he will be at doing that. And that's why, in short, I'm not for taking a quarterback in the the first round, period. Um, Just one thing about the receivers I want to add. Yeah, real quick. quick. In a perfect world, the Giants back three receivers after you're starting two. I would love to see one guy be a burner to be that deep threat we're talking about. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see one guy who is And physical and strong so that we can get the back shoulder throw back into the playbook for Eli Manning. And that could be the same guy as a speed guy, too. Could be, Mm -hmm. but those are the characteristics I'd like to see filled with the spots three and four. And the fifth wide receiver, just the guy who wins the job because he's the best at what he does and catches the ball really well. And he'd be good to get specials, too, maybe. Sure. So those are the characteristics in a perfect world if I could diagram the five-man room. You just don't know how that's going to shake out. Two zero one nine
0: three nine four five one three. We got a couple more minutes. Let's get our final two calls in. Ernie in New Jersey's up next, and Mike in California will wrap things up. What's up, Ernie?
3: Hello. Hey, I like your show, guys. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate um, it. And, and we we're just talking about something I wanted to talk about, which was who's going to be the number one wide receiver. I think they're going to do it by committee, and I agree they probably got the guy in the room already, and uh, they should take a chance on the draft if they want to get a, a deep threat burner. Yep. Ernie, um, I'll
1: tell you this: don't be shocked. If the leading Giants wide receiver in receptions this year is behind both Barkley and Ingram on the number of catches. Barkley, maybe. I don't know about Ingram. Wouldn't shock me. I'm not saying it's a lock. Right. Would not shock me, though. If both Barkley and Ingram have more catches by the end of the season, and the and the leading Giants wide receiver in terms of catches has maybe only fifty seven or fifty eight, and Ernie, gonna, shock and me. Ernie,
0: I'm going to throw this out there too. What happens if it's seventeen? No offense, sitting there in a four four one at tight end, and you think he can stretch the field down the seam, and you're going to play a lot of two tight ends?
3: Oh, just, absolutely. Just Between it out Ingram there. and uh, Latimer, the two big guys could both go deep. Yep. Um, what I want to extract from you, and you guys know a whole lot better than I would, is: uh, Do you think Sam Beal has a shot at being a starter? Is he any good? Uh well. And uh, do you think they're going to trade uh, second rounder for uh, Rosen?
0: Uh look, and Ernie, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. I'm not. Look, I don't know if the Cardinals are, are trying to move him yet. If they do, I would be. I personally, my personal opinion, I don't know what the team thinks about it. I would be willing to make that trade. Yes, and I would. Let me put it this way. I'd rather use a second-round pick to trade for Josh Rosen than use a sixth overall pick to draft Dwayne Haskins.
1: Fair. Fair, because, you? What do you because, think? because there's much less risk. Right, exactly. So correct. if you think you're going to get me off of that, you're crazy. Okay. You're I was crazy. curious. What's your take on that? I'm, it? I'm much okay. happier. I mean, uh, the going rate, according to the whispers and rumor mill around the NFL, is that it may only take a third to I get I don't him. know if I believe that. I don't know if I believe it either. But for a third— I'm, oh, I'm not man. and, and, you and Ro- no. Rosen. Rosen has his hurdles too. sure he does. but but for the lowest cost with the yeah. risk reward, right. how, do you, how do you not? a potential franchise quarterback with first round
0: ability that for the cost of a second round pick, it's hard to say no to that right So just, And much like we talked about with Beckham, the fact that he is under contract, you don't have to pay the signing bonus which the other team already paid. it actually helps the contractual value of it even though you have won fewer year of con- fewer years of control. So there are, there are different aspects to it. Mike in California will be our final call. Oh, by the way, we want to mention Sam Biel real quick. Mike, I'll get to you in oh, one yes. second. Yeah, he will compete for that starting cornerback no spot. No doubt. No doubt. Because we have no idea who the second starting corner is right now. <laughs> so, yeah, he's got a shot. He's in the mix. They are very high on him. Sadly, Paul and I really didn't get much of a chance to see him play last year because he practiced not before he got hurt. <laughs> I, wa- I watched him play about six plays in practice, so I don't have a good feel for him as a player yet. But, yeah, he'll have a chance. Mike in California, what's up, buddy?
6: Hey, boys, how you doing? Hello. Hi. What's up? uh first of all paul you are not a loser We love you buddy (laughs) uh i'm just old school like i said thank you oh man always Uh, early in the week uh that Jabr, that peppers interview i mean um the kid just hit all everything i wanted to hear i know paul he was smiling from ear to ear his his dedication to special teams his film study um playing uh at full speed looking for every advantage. Uh, Landon Collins, for me, was um, a disappointment only because he started out so good, and he progressively every year has gotten worse. Um, He got exposed as far as not being really good at uh, coverage. Uh, Tight ends were just abusing this Well, no, Mike, Mike. Mike, but I'll say
0: this, though. When you drafted him in the second round, if if I would have told you... His four-year giant career would have went the way it went, and he was in one year second or third in the defensive player of the year category. I think you would have said that was a pretty successful draft I'll, pick. Oh, no, it would
6: have been amazing. Right? Exactly. Oh, absolutely, Paul. Absolutely. But what if what if you would have known that he was going to step, take steps back every year after that, and be injured, and be looking for a max contract? I mean, like I, I, I like. Collins, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. He was one of my favorite players, but he was on um, a decline and the injuries just really scared me and being the history of us investing in players who get injured. Odell with his big contract and he didn't play full season. I couldn't stomach another contract where we're dishing out all this money and getting substandard play. Um, And again, Collins great box defender, huge hitter, but his coverage was terrible. And you know as safety, we need to be able to invest in um, kind of a, a talent that could do it all. Mike, he doesn't have to be an outstanding lockdown coverage safety, but he just had to be able to hold his own. And Mike guys look, were beating uh, him on the regular I I I, I just, you, I just wanna say,
1: I just wanna add one thing to you and and, and I hope you listen in as as, uh, as we move on and, and close out the show. I appreciate all the different angles that, that people can look at Collins through. There are certainly positives and there are some, some, some inadequacies. There's no doubt about oh, that. He played well enough, though, to get that contract from the Redskins. Right, right. We've gone through all these yeah. things. But let's not forget as well, when Collins had his best season with the Giants and was in the running for the NFL Defensive Player of the Year... That was a year when the defense was one of the best defenses in the year uh, of the year. And he had guys surrounding him. And, and the unit was outstanding. And he was just an integral part of a terrific unit. As the unit disintegrated over the last two years of his career, and he was asked not just to be the best player on that unit, but literally Superman. Because guess what? The free safety next to him really wasn't giving him a lot of help. And guess what? The pass rush really wasn't giving the secondary a lot of help. And guess what? The linebackers were forcing Landon to make two people's worth of tackles because they weren't giving him a lot of help. Let's understand something. Landon Collins had a tremendous amount of responsibility put on his shoulders by subpar defensive players around him. I just want to be clear, folks. Again, had some inadequacies, but had some really good things about him as well. And I just don't think it's fair to necessarily pile on to any one of his inadequacies because there are always so many factors to consider. That's all. I agree. Paul, good show. Yeah. Tomorrow. For sure. Paul and
0: Lance will try to get on a reporter down in Alabama, talk about the Alabama Pro Day. And I'm working on Ohio State for Friday. So make sure you check that out on giants.com on Big Blue Kickoff Live in the coming days. For Paul D'Atino, I'm John Schmelk. We'll see you next time on giants.com, everybody. Have a great Wednesday.